Hey friend, welcome to She Said, She Said. Here on this podcast, I'm joining forces with top-notch guests to share life and career lessons, always with an eye toward insight, inspiration, and the drivers that help us build influence. I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. I've spent three decades mastering the art of influence. Whether you're starting a business, raising money for a cause, advocating for a promotion, or running your own household, Understanding the different levers of influence will increase your chances of success, whatever your goals may be. Listening to She Said, She Said podcast may just be the smartest, most efficient investment you can make in you. Hey friend, welcome. Has anyone ever told you, hey, you should brag on yourself more? Does the thought of that statement make you cringe just a little? Well, join the club. It's not a natural state for most of us, but this week's guest will explain why learning to brag effectively and strategically doesn't have to be cringe-inducing. In fact, she explains why learning to brag better is actually essential to achieving your goals and you guessed it, to building influence, our topic for the season. Meredith Feynman is my guest. She is the CEO of a leadership development and career counseling company called FinePoint. She is also the author of an aptly named book entitled Brag Better. Meredith wrote the book using what she learned over a decade of training individuals to use PR tactics as a catalyst for positive career change. Now, some of those tools include learning to brag better and to self-promote. In this episode, Meredith and I talk about why your work won't speak for itself and why bragging effectively is so key to building influence. We get pretty tactical in this conversation, and Meredith shares some great tips on things like taking advantage of what she refers to as low-hanging fruit in the form of opportunities that many of us miss to self-promote. We also talk about things that you should be thinking about when you're crafting your bios and also the number of bios that you need. We talk about the value of reverse engineering your bragging strategy and how to pick the social media platform or platforms that are best for your message and so much more. So stay with me. Our conversation with Meredith Feynman is coming up right now. Meredith, welcome to She Said, She Said. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm delighted to have you. I really love the book, and I'm excited to get into this conversation. So as a starting point, let's talk a bit about your origin story. How did you get into the work of helping people learn to do a better job of bragging on themselves and self-promoting themselves? So um, my background is in all forms of media. I've been a freelance writer for 16 years. Um, I am a professional speaker. I ran my company, Fine Point, as a PR firm. I'm now currently hyper-focused on, obviously, my book, Brag Better, and Brag Better Boot Camps, both for individuals and for corporations. Um, But it took me a while to get there. I started Fine Point 11 years ago at this point, um, and I was doing more traditional PR 
there was a mix of digital strategy, but like digital strategy was never my strength. It was just kind of what people wanted to buy in like 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I started to do a lot of um, more traditional PR pitching, what have you. Um, simultaneously though, I've always built my own voice and brand. You know, I started freelance writing 16 years ago. I threw events, I did panels, I, hosted things. I just, you know, was always kind of out there, quote unquote. And so as I was building this company, I was simultaneously um, becoming known in the region and online, um, at least in the Washington region. And and so what happened was my PR clients were people who uh, wanted to promote themselves to, uh, or rather build Yes, I was doing products and technology, consumer lifestyle business, but I started to become the go-to for individual representation. Um, and I started to see a pattern in addition to a couple of other things. So, you know, particularly for this group of entrepreneurs, which entrepreneurship, especially in like 2009, 2010, you know, was not the insanely common um, ecosystem that it is now. Um, and And so I was noticing a couple things happening, which were very interesting to me. One was the rise of the founder as celebrity, which, you know, after 10 full years, we've seen um, as both a good thing and a very bad thing. And I think that that will be an evolving conversation, but you can't argue that um, individuals as drivers of business, whether good or bad, whatever you think about Jeff Bezos, whatever you think about uh, Elon Musk, whatever you think about um, you know, girl boss culture, it's still driven by an individual in a way that it hasn't in business previously. And that cult of personality is, you know, as I said, sometimes good, sometimes very bad. And we're seeing some of the flaws of, of that thinking, but it was becoming a category of celebrity that never existed. So like a CAA, a UTA would never have signed a Sheryl Sandberg before. Like it was, it was very interesting commodity to me. Um, and just sort of this, this new way of having redefining what a rock star was and also just it really being a tremendous driver of business. So when I was doing the PR and then the leadership had no strategy on their own voices, I was like, you're just missing out um, on on the money here. And and so I, I came at it from an unusual point in that I had done personal brand and I had done a lot of traditional media relations. And those two didn't always, weren't often offered at the same time. Um, and, and then I also started to notice that People did not know how to talk about themselves um, as I did work on Mm. elevating individuals. And that was not changing with level of success, particularly, but not only for women. My audience is the qualified quiet, people that have done the work, but don't know how to talk about it. I mean, the real big scope basis of my work is that we reward the wrong voices. We reward the loud ones. I'm in the business of helping people make proverbial noise. and, and that's just not gonna shift. So you have to kind of play within that system. Um, but I was having the exact same conversations with very young people, college age, as I was with contemporaries, as I was with very senior folks. Um, and, and nobody knew how to take that PR skill set and flip it on themselves. So that was the framework that I've spent the past 10 years creating and what eventually became, you know, the brag better framework and why self-promotion is essential, why your work won't speak for itself, which then, you know, the book came out in 2020, um, which was unpleasant, but still positive. Um, and, and now I do, you know, almost exclusively speaking and training on these topics. Um, and, and so that's, that's how it came to be. 
Yeah. Okay. I want to dig into some of the more tactical aspects, especially what you just said related to the quote unquote qualified quiet. How do you recommend somebody get started if they're having a real hard time figuring out how to promote their idea, their project, their business, whatever it happens to be? How do they get started? How do you take one of these qualified quiet people and create a strategy for them? Yeah, so obviously, first and foremost, I would recommend my book, Brag Better. I cared a lot uh, that it be based in tactics and frameworks that I've used and created with hundreds of clients at this point and thousands of people I've spoken to versus anything that's based on emotions. So I'm not here to tell you to be more confident. I think that's actually one of the rudest things you can say to someone. Um, I'm, I'm care about what you're specifically going to do, um, and, and that's my thing. Um, but sort of stepping back and understanding that we do reward loud, it is unfair, I don't see it changing, um, and so you have to figure out how to be strategically loud, just at least recognizing that, also understanding that your work won't speak for itself, but more important, like we all know someone in our industry or in our, you know, greater community who gets a lot of credit and they have done way less than you have. Um, and so when you add in the experience that you have plus the ability to talk about it, then, you know, it's it's sort of an unstoppable force. So all of that is to say, like, where to start. So recognizing it, I would say, is the first thing. Um, you know, there are lots of different elements of like, what are you putting out right now? What do your social media look like? Do you have you written things before? Or is it just as simple as being able to raise your hand in a meeting, being able to write a solid quarterly review for yourself, um, being able to share something with a friend? Um, it can be on the very micro level. Like sometimes people's bragging goals are to be on a stage or to get a book deal. And sometimes they are to, you know, properly tell their boss what they're doing, which is part of your job. Um, and be able to feel proud of that. One thing that I really reiterate and a starting point for everyone is understanding that bragging is just stating facts. Um, you know, I define bragging better as, as stating facts strategically and cohesively to advance your career. This is a means to an end. Um, it's not, and, and I want you to do it in a way that's true to you. And I, again, this is like just, there's a lot, lot there, but I would say at, at a baseline, mm -hmm. This is a tool and a tactic that will get you more money, that will get you, like the attention is not for attention's sake, it's to drive your career forward, whether that is to get an internship or whether that is to get a corporate board seat. Um, so I would say starting really, really small, being able to call a friend or just tell yourself that at the end of a week of, you know, a win you had, or honestly being able to recognize a win is something that I've even had to like dial back and have conversations with people in boot camps or people I know about, um, you know, what does a win look like and what wins are important to share so that you can get what you want. One of the suggestions that you talk about in the book that I especially like is the importance on getting really clear on your why. Talk about why that's so important. Yeah. So as I said, you know, it's not volume for volume's sake. It's not attention for attention's sake, unless that is what you want, which I don't judge, but that's like not really the people that come to me. Um, the qualified quiet is a term I, I own and came up with. Um, but it is this idea that you've done the work and sharing it is hard and difficult, which I will say, you're so not alone in those feelings of anxiety and fear and disgust and, and confusion that it's what I do for a living. It's why I wrote the book on it. 
you don't have the role models, you don't have the language as a writer, you know, that's something I'm able to bestow. Um, and, and you don't have frameworks to do this. We have this for talking about our friends or talking about other people or talking about other things. So um, you you shouldn't really know how to do these things. Like that's that's just a total misnomer. Everything I do is reverse engineered. So, you know, these days I'm, I'm running boot camps and doing speaking and training and it's less individual client work, very rarely, but, you know, you, I always want everything reverse engineered. So if you're like, well, I, I want this promotion. I'm gunning for it with someone who is better at bragging about their work than I am, but I've done a lot more. I'm a lot more qualified and I'm a better choice. Um, you know, then how are you going to reverse engineer that? Okay, who are the people that need to know that, that you're better, you're more qualified, you're more thoughtful, you've done more work, and then how are you going to show them that? Um, so you can pick one specific thing, but I always like to work backwards um, because especially with volume and voice and PR as as I have this sort of flipped on yourself, um, you, you want to know what you want to get out of it because otherwise it could just be learning to brag in a way that's not helpful to you. Like if you want this promotion, like doing a lot of thought leadership writing is not going to do anything. That's like not towards the right audience. You have to know the audience. Absolutely. Which is one of the elements that you talk about in your book is the importance of understanding who it is you're talking to. But before we get to that point, I'd love for you to dig in a little bit to this notion of imposter syndrome, which even the most qualified people, people that have had tremendous success, still admit to saying, you know, or asking themselves or sort of querying, how the heck did I get here? Am I really qualified to have this job? Am I really qualified to be talking about this? How, how do we get past these feelings of imposter syndrome that so many of us still carry around no matter what our accomplishments are? Yeah, so it is it is deeply tied. Bragging and imposter syndrome are related um, in that it's a level of self-awareness that causes you to question yourself. Um, I don't think you will ever eradicate it, but you can reframe it as I think it's actually a, a positive signal. It doesn't feel good, but only people who are good at their jobs are worried that they're bad at their jobs. Like I don't know anyone who's bad at their job that's like worried that they're bad at their job. Same thing, what if I brag too much? What if people think I'm obnoxious? It's very difficult if you're having those thoughts or feelings um, to brag, quote, too much. Now again, that's a very subjective scale and I argue a lot of things around that. Um, but both of those you know, thoughts are actually strong indicators that you are a self-aware, critical thinking person. Um, and because you're having them, you know, it means you care. Um, and so I don't think they will ever be fully eradicated, but it only happens to people who are qualified, who are good at their jobs, who are, um, have a message, you know, worth spreading. And, and so that's, you know, as I said, on the grand scale, I care that we, we, listen to new, different, thoughtful, truthful, qualified voices. I care that we get more diverse voices in positions of power and in varying media places and, and just, you know, a more representative group of voices, period. But um, imposter syndrome is something that I don't think anyone can totally kick, but it is a signaler that you are good at your job. Like, I've never heard of someone having imposter syndrome who wasn't qualified to brag or wasn't um, good. So, so if anything, it's, it's kind of a signaler that you're on the right track. 
Yeah, no, I, I think I think all that is entirely fair. But how do you keep it from becoming something that can stop you from moving forward? Right? If if imposter syndrome is is you know the self awareness piece, I'm completely with you. It is so incredibly important. But if the idea of continuing to question yourself and whether you deserve to be there gets in your way. How do you get past those feelings? Or how do you at least recognize them for what they are, but not let them completely stop you from moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think if you do frame it as I'm having these thoughts and feelings because I'm someone who is self-aware and thoughtful and and cares and is is qualified, um, is helpful, um, you know, then you have to recruit other people um often i mean this is not done alone nothing is done alone certainly bragging better is a team sport both on your behalf and you doing so in service and on behalf of others um but you you have to then um pull in the right people whether it's friends whether it's colleagues whether it's therapists you know i think that that's that's super important um if you can't get past that and it is holding you back Mm -hmm. um is is getting other people to help push you forward. Um, and I think that there have been times probably, I, I wouldn't say I have, I mean, I, I everyone has self-doubt, but but I don't see it, I don't really get the imposter syndrome part. I just get, I guess, regular garden variety sad. Um, but, um, you know, I think that <laughs> it, it happens to everyone who is a critical thinker. So, you know, recognizing how it's holding you back, um, and then, you know, the thing is you have to try some of that stuff and then get some of the wins so you build up the confidence to keep going um, is is just something you have to continually do, whether that's getting rejected, whether that's not, win, you know, not winning out on a project or a proposal or um, a promotion. You know, you have to just experience some of that rejection um, in order to just want to do it anyway. Um, and mm-hmm. And, you know, consulting some professionals too. One of the things you talk about in the book um, is the idea that uh, many of your clients or or potential clients, as the case may be, um, miss out on low-hanging fruit, like those little things that you can be doing to help promote yourself that a lot of people just completely dismiss as unimportant or haven't even thought about. Maybe share with the audience some of the things that we can and should be doing that you see people fail to take advantage of. Yeah, there's so many. So so the two biggest barriers to getting a message through, which comes from, you know, communications, communication strategy and theory and is, you know, repetition and consistency. How often are you hearing a message and how um, consistent is it? Because humans don't listen a lot. They have to hear something many times before they retain it. Um, and, and so, you know, applying that layer of consistency to everything you do is is important it might feel repetitive but it's definitely not so whether that's making sure that you know you have a headshot on your social media that looks like you and is recent and matches everywhere whether it's Mm -hmm. saying that you want to be booked to speak um someone doesn't know that they can book you to speak or like if you want to be doing more podcasts you have to say it a lot of it is about sort of saying it um I'm trying to think of other low-hanging fruit. I mean, there are many clients of mine in the past that that want to bulk up their speaking, and then there is nothing on any personal website or any social media or any of their thought leadership articles or any on their company pages that says, book me to speak. It's like, I don't know that you right. speak. Like, you have, I wouldn't know. 
um, and you're not putting the photos up there that you do do this. And like, how do they contact you and reach out to you? Like people aren't mind readers, but they also, they just have to be told things many, many, many times and you just have to put it out there. So like, for example, if I'm wanting to do more podcasts, you know, I, you need to be sharing more about the podcasts I've done. And even if I haven't, let's say I've done none, you can say, you know, um, book me for your podcast at, and then put an email address. Um, and maybe think about, um, you know, pitching yourself to some of those people and saying, this is something I do. Like people don't know what you want to be doing and what you've done until, until you tell them. Um, we all walk around yeah. with it in our heads, but also especially, I mean, there's so many conversations about this and, and figuring out how I'm going to incorporate this into the next writing project of mine about COVID and how you have to do this tenfold because you're not in the room with people, but people don't know if you're, if you want to write more, um, you have to tell someone, um, or you have to have it listed or you have to start pitching. Um, so, so that's what I would say is, you know, people don't know what you've done or what you want to do, which I'd argue is a little bit more, well, they're both important, um, until you state it and state it clearly and state it consistently and with repetition. I mean, I have to like go on a podcast and say, join a boot camp. I have to post about it on social media. I have to write about it and say, that's what I'm up to right now. I have to make it clear that I'm not, you know, taking on individual client retainers anymore. You know, like it, it's, I have to say it a million times. There are many people who don't know that I've written this book, which is insane. Um, just because of the level of promotion and the level of it being, you know, I feel like I've just like shoved it down everyone's throat, but that's not the case. Um, hundred, you know, basically a hundred percent of the time you're sharing something, there's a different audience unless you say it twice in the same mm -hmm. room, but even then, you know, so, so people need to hear things a lot of times to retain them. You talk about that, especially as it relates to social media, which I think for, you know, a lot of people out there who are trying to promote an idea, like it literally makes them cringe, the idea that you're going to say the same thing over and over and over and over again. And yet, you're advocating that that's precisely what you need to do. How do you do that so that it doesn't, so that you don't get stale as the person who's pitching the idea? How do you keep it fresh and interesting, even though it is somewhat repetitive? Yeah, I, I mean... The thing is, is every time I post about the book or somewhere, you have a different audience from any other audience I've ever been on before. Like, it's just 100% never the same audience. So even if, mm -hmm. like, there's, it's never people like, ugh, this again. It's just, I mean, you have to be careful and temperate, but you have to constantly be reintroducing yourself. You have to constantly tell people what you have to do. You have to constantly tell them what they can pay you for. I will say, you know, social media, um, pick one platform and do it well. Um, and you know, I'm currently not on Twitter. I mean, I, I have Twitter, but I'm not, I changed the password and I have many times in the past year because of COVID and I just don't like the way it makes me feel. Um, you know, now if I were a journalist, I would probably have to be engaging on Twitter. Like you have to figure out what's going to serve you where. So if you just care more about internal validation and rising up in your company, social media doesn't really matter as much, if at all. So it's a great tool. Um, it needs to be used, you know, in a way that feels okay to you and is successful um, and, and not just to do it. I mean, this is not as true anymore, but, you know, way earlier on in my career, people were like, oh, we have to have a social media presence. Like now that's sort of like part and parcel of doing business. But if your audience is not, on a social media platform, if it is your boss, if it is a colleague, if it is an internship program, you know, like it, it's not, then you don't need to do it, frankly, at all. 
Um, you know, I'm always very, very clear that I want you to squat on all your spaces on the internet to be in control of the conversation. I mean, so much of my work is just about strategic communications around control that you own your domain name, that you own your space on varying platforms and grab them. But, um, you know, it, it can be a great tool, but you have to see where things are coming from. Um, you know, I wasn't really getting any business leads through Twitter. I didn't like how it made me feel, you know, with COVID, I just, there was just, it just, you know, I just didn't like it. Um, so I'm like, well, it's not, it's not making me any money um, and it's mm-hmm. not fun. So I'm not going to do it right now. Um, you know, and then there are certain places where I should be taking more advantage, like a LinkedIn, you know, people really poo poo LinkedIn, it is a tremendous resource, they've poured so much money into it. When I think about the media landscape, it is one of the media plat, I I mean, I consider it a media platform, frankly, at this point, but rather than a social one, like a media one, there's so much content and writing and courses. And, you know, that is going to survive many, many media outlets. Um, And so, you know, yeah, there's a lot of spam on there, but I've also gotten clients. I have gotten um, podcast bookings. I've gotten mentors. I've gotten um, like you just you just don't know. So so right. I think that that's a very powerful platform that I frankly don't use enough. You know, there's there's all of these different options, and what's so amazing to me over the course of my own career, like this is a completely new thing. So for somebody who I'm 52. And so for someone who's my age and my generation, it really is learning these tools and figuring out which ones work best for which purposes, whereas someone who's younger, who's grown up with social media, may have a very different point of view. But what I tend to see is people who are my age who maybe don't take advantage of those opportunities. So to your point about Picking, picking a lane and staying with it. How, what's your best advice for knowing which platform will serve your purposes best and which platform will help you reach those audiences? Or sort of how do you test to know, okay, maybe it's not working, I'm not getting those business leads, but how do you know that? How do you test that? Yeah, again, it's about reverse engineering. Where is your audience and what do you want out of it? You know, if you're a photographer, you need to be utilizing Instagram so people can see, you need to consider like the medium and the message. Um, And that's really important. But, Mm -hmm. you know, there are opportunities all around you to promote yourself, to share your work, to get attention. Um, It's a matter of seeing them as opportunities and not burdens. Um, You know, a lot of people are like, oh, I feel like I have to build this up on social media. But like, do you? Or is that just external pressure? Or is that just something, you know, you think you have to do? I do a lot of also counseling on the book industry. I've I I also do some, you know, writing book proposals with people. I collaborated on a book that came out in 2018. You know, I'm I I bill myself as a writer and entrepreneur. Um, and and so I have com- you know so many people are dissuaded from having a book idea because yes, the industry cares a lot about numbers. Yes, they care a lot about social media. But you know, just in a, in a, like a group thing, you know, I have a a friend who who is great and someone told her she had to have x amount of followers like that's just not true um you know if you have a powerful network like there there are many ways to do things um and so you know i think we've all seen a lot with social media too in what it can do and what it what it doesn't do like for example i absolutely should be taking advantage of book talk which is you know tiktok is a, a now a huge driver of books i don't have tiktok because it's too powerful and it's everything I love and I will never do any work if I have it. Um, 
but you know, it's like, what are you going to take advantage of? Where's your audience and, and where are you going to find them? Um, and so that's, that's really important, but doing social media for social media's sake is like just a terrible time suck. Um, and, and just a, a waste of time and, and looking at it, you know, I was just thinking of a friend who's like, if you've been on Twitter for six years and it hasn't served you at all, it's like not going to start serving you now. Um, so, hmm. so being real, having, you know, more of a critical eye of where you're spending your time and where you are using that message, but it could be a tremendous resource. You want to try it out. Um, but if it's something you've been doing for five years and it hasn't yielded clients or it doesn't make you feel good or, you know, there are lots of conversations also about how these platforms now make you feel. It's like, well, what are they? Are they propelling you forward? Are they holding you back? But where can you sort of find these opportunities and use them? Um, but also, you know, I think people are finally having a more critical eye towards all the platforms than they were before. Yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're exactly right. I, I, you know, I also think too, um, thinking about the platforms from the standpoint of how they make you feel, also what you're putting on them, right? Like recognizing that if you're on them and you're feeling bad and you're not actually promoting content that is positive, that's uplifting, that makes you feel better and that potentially would make other people feel better, it's a cycle, right? And it's not a passive thing. No, <laughs> I mean, I, I, get, I, so you know, my, I spent a lot of time Instagram- on social media. I'm like, I really... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that you, know, you don't have to uplift everyone else. Like, if you if you build a platform based on like shitty restaurant reviews or something, and like you know, like it, it just it has to serve a purpose or be fun. If it's not serving a right. purpose and it's not fun, then there's no point um, because it's really just more noise. So, so one thing I, I'm not advocating that there be more noise. I'm helping people navigate getting a message through in a noisy system. Um, but there is a tremendous amount of noise. And, and so I never want to just add to that pile of noise. I want people to get what they want. I want people to advance their careers. Um, and I want these tools to be actual tools. Um, it's very easy to get sucked into them and, and just spend a lot of time on them. But if it's not where your audience is, if it's not getting you what you want, then you can promote yourself in many other places. I mean, a lot of this might just be internally inside your company. A lot of this might just be with your friend group. A lot of this might be, you know, at conferences, if and when we ever go back to them, maybe it's on podcasts, maybe it's with writing, maybe it's, um, you know, in other spaces, like it, promoting yourself doesn't just have to be online. It's obviously very online right now, especially, you know, as we figure out sort of the new work blend and normal, you know, one thing I'm talking a lot about is how you have to really do double duty now bragging in person and bragging online, because you have to be very careful of like who in your, as we go back to flex work, which I think will continue for at least 10 years, um, you know, who's in the room and who's not in the room. And if you've bragged to someone in the room, that's great, but who's not in the room and have you told them also? Um, and, and so, you know, really keeping track of that and having to do double duty as what if you work from home, for example, okay, you're not in that particular room. How can you tell those people what you're doing? How can you be really explicit about it? You know, the pillars of bragging better are to be proud, loud, and strategic. Um, and, you know, loud doesn't mean the volume of your voice. It means that consistency and repetition. But the fourth pillar I added starting in, you know, March, March 13th of 2020 was explicit, which nobody has time right now for you to just, you know, beat around the bush or not be very, you know, forthright and clear and queuing up an email to the people that matter and say, hey, I want to make sure I'm communicating my wins to you. What's the best way to do that? Um, and, and sometimes also people are primed to receive your brags over the phone. Maybe it's over a video chat. Maybe it is in print. Um, you know, those are other channels uh, that, that go way beyond social media. 
Another one strikes me because it's something that everyone has to have, and that is your bio. And you talk about the importance of really leveraging that bio. What are some of the tips and tricks, frankly, that our audience could take away from this conversation as it relates to their bio and making it more impactful and more distinctive and more memorable? Yeah, I would first of all just say having one. Um, It's something people don't do. Um, And having a running document so you're not reinventing the wheel. Like one thing when you have to give your bio all the time is you're constantly, you're first of all, you're just straight up wasting time, um, rewriting it over and over and over again. Um, And then you might be leaving things out. So, you know, opening up a running document, Google document, Word document, um, and updating, you know, putting a, a reminder maybe once a quarter or every two months to update it, keeping track of your wins in real time, Um, And what does that mean? That means taking 15 minutes on a Friday and also having a running document of like, I did X and Y and Z. It's much easier to do it in real time, even though it's annoying than it is to like think back because you're going to forget some stuff. Um, I talk a lot about bios because they are an original bragging spot, which means that people expect you to brag in them. We don't have a lot of those places. You have, you know, annual reviews, you know, biannual reviews, gunning for a promotion. That's like a, you know, that's an original brag spot. You have your resume. That's an original brag spot. You have your bio, which is an original brag spot, which means, you know, the book is split into, you know, why this issue matters, what to do about it, and how it then affects other people and or how they feel about it. You know, people can have feelings about your bragging. And, and it's an act of vulnerability to talk positively about your work um, without, without apologizing, particularly as a woman, but not only as a woman. Um, and and so, so that is something that people are going to have a lot of judgments about. And a lot of this is about how you're just going to deal with them anyway, and people are going to have their judgments anyway. And is this going to the right people so that they can reward you? Um, but, you know, what I'll say is, um, obviously, I, you know, want you to do this anyway, but... But so these are spots where people have fewer judgments because they expect to see the awards. They expect to see all your wins. Um, The bio is something people have been reading, I don't know, forever. So, you know, what does that mean? Everyone needs to have a long, short, and two-line bio, and they're all derivative of each other. So the long bio is everything. It's a whole page long. Short bio, let's say a paragraph or two. Two Two-line bio, two lines, which more than anything is an exercise in condensing what you do. Um, I think it's a really important exercise to do. It's very difficult. Um, But, you know, can you do it in two lines or two sentences is, is really key. Um, but so then when someone asks you for your bio constantly and you send them that short bio paragraph, let's say, um, it's always the same thing. You're not leaving things out. I mean, I'm even guilty of these things. A good friend of mine who is an amazing publicist, um, Elisa Leach, who has a great podcast called Leave Your Mark, and she wrote a great book called Leave Your Mark. You know, I sent her my bio for her podcast episode, which was just huge reach, whatever. I left out the book. I wasn't paying attention. Like it. It and she pointed it out. Luckily, anyone else who either wasn't a publicist or was lazier wouldn't wouldn't care. Um, but that's the danger. Uh, that's the danger. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the stuff ready, you're wasting your own time. You're wasting other people's time. And also, like, what a profound waste. She has a huge following. I'm trying to sell books. I'm trying to get more book deals. I'm trying. You know, like it, like that. I. It's a missed opportunity. Um, so that is my bio tirade. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, so because there are so many people who are 
you know, there are always a lot of people who are pivoting jobs. And I think women in particular go through a lot of different life pivots for a, a host of different reasons. But especially because of the last year, people are really rethinking what they're doing. So there's a lot of people who are looking at, okay, how do I take what I've done and maybe a series of, you know, to me, they're interesting jobs, maybe the other people, they might be a little boring. How do you take these divergent jobs or positions that you've had and string them together in a way that makes sense and tells a compelling story. So, you know, this I can't do without having spoken to the actual person, but there's always a through line. There's always an umbrella. There is always spin. So, you know, in public relations, they talk about spin. It's how you're framing something. Like, well, I've already launched something. You say that was a soft launch. This is the heart. You know, it's just, you kind of make it up. Um, they're publicists are wildly talented and, and very actually um, underappreciated. But um, what I'll say is, it's about finding the right spin. So I always use this example because I still hear it constantly. People come to me insecure that they've only worked at one place for 15 years. To which I say, well, you could say, I've only worked at one place for 15 years. Or you could say, I have a depth of experience and knowledge of a company that is very rare these days. Most people hop around. They don't stay loyal to a company. You know, I am unusual. I am, you know, unique in that I have spent 15 years delving in and really understanding the ins and outs of a major organization. People come to me insecure that they have hopped around with jobs and they could say, oh, nothing ever sticks and I hop around. Or you could say, I wanted a wealth of experience so that I could take all of the aspects of the jobs I've had and learn to be a better, more well-rounded worker. Like those are two examples of how you, and, and, and I will, I give those two because they're the same thing, you know, like people are insecure that they have had a lot of jobs. People are insecure that they've only had one, you know, so it's, it's, and those are the ways that you can frame it. Um, and, and that's how you do it on both sides. And that's true of sort of like anything. Um, but, uh, but that's always a key example because that's a really common insecurity. Another one is people who are young that come to me. I don't say, I don't have things to brag about. This is my first job. It's like, well, you only have what you have. You have a fresh perspective. You have more energy than other people probably. You know, you're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, which is like great for a company. They want you to work hard. Um, but also you've had leadership positions maybe in college or in high school. And even though they were in college or high school, you still did them. They still showcased varying things about you. But what people don't understand, especially, especially young people getting into some of their first jobs, is that the older workers are actually terrified of them. Like they're terrified of the more senior people, but the more senior people are terrified of people with more energy, you know, more knowledge of new platforms and that are going to take their jobs. Like it's, it goes both ways. So everyone is upset all the time is what I'm saying, but, but it, all of this stuff goes goes both ways. Um, and, and where a young person is insecure and sees someone who's so senior who's had all these leadership positions as they have nothing to say, and then that senior leader person says, oh my God, this person's gonna take my job and knows, you know, maybe, you know, new platforms better, understands what people want, or, you know, is more flexible in their view of life. Like it's, every you know, everyone is always having those conversations in their own heads. Yeah. When you began to put yourself out there and really have your work, whether it's a book, whether it's a podcast, whether it's whatever it happens to be, 
Um, you're inviting uh, vulnerability, right? You are making yourself vulnerable. You're also inviting comments from others, which you want, which helps you fine tune what you're doing. But comments can also be a bit distracting at times because not everybody who makes comments are making constructive comments that are designed to help you learn and grow, shall we say. Let's talk a little bit about how you advise clients to deal with commentary and comments that are not particularly constructive. Sure. Well, it's never going to be as bad. First of all, I've been called many different things. I just care that people say it behind my back. Um, so I don't have to deal with it. But it's also been said in front of my face um, or online. And I remember those instead of the heaps of praise for the book or for my speeches or all the things I work so hard on. It's like, let me fixate on the one negative thing and think about it forever. Um, and that is my own work. Um, but, um, you know, people are going to have their opinions. Again, this is a means to an end. I'm arguing that you brag better anyway, because it advances your career. So there is and a lot of times people are going to have judgments because they can't do these things. It's way easier for someone to say that I'm very obnoxious than it is for them to say, oh, I see her continually putting herself out there and coming up with these new ideas and um, you know, doing X and Y and Z, and I can't do that, and that makes me very insecure, and that makes me very anxious, so instead I'm just gonna say nasty things about her. Like That's what's happening in that person's mind. Um, and yeah, it's an act of vulnerability, which is why people don't do it. I mean, yes, you don't have the frameworks, which I've built, which is in Brag Better. And I've also, you know, books are expensive, get it from your local library. I've written about a lot of this stuff for almost a decade, you can find it online. Um, and, and so it's, it's an act of vulnerability, and you don't have the right tools. So I'm giving you the tools, but the vulnerability piece is scary and hard. I think at this point, I'm just kind of like numb to it. Um, but it's still hard and scary. Um, you know, I was, I remember, you know, the book, like when it, the worst period is when you're done with your book and then you're waiting for it to come out. I'm like, what if it's bad? What if it's bad? What if it's just bad? You know, it's, it, everyone has those, those thoughts and feelings. And that was a big, you know, putting yourself out there moment, but it's really easy to take shots at someone who's decided to put herself out there. Um, whether that be with a book, whether that be with raising your hand, whether that be with running a big project. Um, and, and so, um, people are going to have their judgments, but what I care about is the people who are in charge of getting you to the next level, whether it's your boss, whether it's someone who's going to hire you for a job, whether it's someone who's going to hire your company for a project, that you impress those people and you bra are bragging to the right people so that you can get what you want. Again, it's a means to an end. And everything else is just noise. But I mean, it's very easy to latch on to the negative stuff, especially if you're, you know, thoughtful, critical person of yourself. Um, you don't really need anyone else's criticism, but but it might be there, but it's truly never as bad as you think it is, um, or will be, or like the crazy, it's, it's never as bad as the mean things you say to yourself. Right. So you talk about an exercise in the book that you've used and that you've used with clients that I'd love. I'd love if you talk for a moment about that and share a little bit of, of sort of the how to not take these comments so personally or sort of how to deal with the fears of putting yourself out there. Yeah. So I talk about something called the nightmare question, um, which is like, it's basically what's the meanest thing you've ever said to yourself and like what would happen if someone asked you that? which usually would be categorically insane. You know, I usually do some variation of like, who do you think you are? Your stuff is so schlocky and bad. Like you wrote this book that nobody likes. Like, you know, what do you think you're doing? Which would be categorically insane for someone to say to me, but like in the depths of the depths and the, you know, dark night of the soul, that's what I'm saying to myself. Um, and, and so in bringing it into the light, which I've done this with clients, maybe it's 
you know, your dad is incredibly successful and you can never come close. So like, why are you even bother trying? Or it's, you know, you mess this thing up once and it haunts you. So like, how do you know you're not going to do that over and over again? I mean, what's the crazy, but, but being able to answer that question in a PR form, whereas if someone asked me what I just said about myself, I would say, you know, I work really hard. I'm really proud of what I've done. Um, and you know, I've put a lot out there of myself, of my work, and that's just the best I can do. And I do that, you know, every day. And that's all I can ask for to have a calculated PR response. It really helps alleviate a lot of some of that anxiety. And, you know, as I always say, like, you know, my publisher won't let me like either refund people or give them money if someone actually asks you your nightmare question, but it's like, nobody's going to, actually ask that of you it's never happened in the history of ever so um because usually it would be something like categorically insane whether it's let's say you had a fallout with a founder you had a fallout with you know your co-founder how are you ever going to work with someone again like that's crazy um it's not crazy it's a irrational anxiety driven thought but nobody's going to ask that of you because like it's never the nightmare question you cook up it's not possible i i love that i think that's incredibly good advice um so because we are looking at this concept of influence and all of its different dimensions, I'd love it if you would share what influence means to you. How do you define it for yourself? Mm. Um, well, there's pure influence, which is, you know, well, not pure influence, but there's influencers, which is interesting. Um, there are things that influence and inform me. Um I like to think that I, I prefer to take positive influence, um, but but influence is, you know, the driver of ideas, putting positive things out into the world. For me, what it means to me in my work is that I hope that people feel better about what they've done. I hope they feel proud of themselves, which, you know, a lot of what, you know, that I think about it is a lot of projection too, um, but that they feel empowered, that which is a tricky word, but they feel empowered by the tactics that I espouse to um, share their work because also what's really important is you never know who is watching or listening. I've gotten lovely messages from many people all over the globe, whether it's from a speech or whether it's from my book, but those are just the people that reach out to me. So when you share your work and show that we can have a culture of healthy pride and influence that onto other people rather, um, you know, you, you help inspire someone who probably won't tell you that. Um, and, and so, you can't, you know, there's the famous saying, you can't be what you can't see. But um, when someone who is thoughtful and qualified, you know, without apology shares her work, um, it's very inspirational and you just don't know who's watching or listening. And there's definitely at least one person who's not going to tell you, but is going to say, well, if she did that and maybe I can do that. Or she said that, maybe I can say that. Um, and, and that's what's really powerful and and that's that's what's really important. I also care that you know, playing with the word influence, that our influences come from more thoughtful places. Um, so, you know, when I talk about the inverse relationship between volume and merit, and that we reward loud, I want everyone to be influenced by voices that have done the work, by people that are showing up for themselves and others, by people who are modeling great behaviors and great, you know. Um, modeling things like truth and um caring and and overall responsibility i mean it's it's a it's a grand notion but i do think that you know 
I care about getting the qualified quiet voices into the mix so that other people can be influenced by them, but also so that it can influence a healthier dialogue and society in general. I love that. Okay, if you could go back and give 24-year-old Meredith, Meredith, who is just launching her career, a single piece of advice on bragging or anything else, what would it be? I don't think it would be on bragging. Maybe it would be like, you, you please don't buy designer handbags. Um, <laughs> at least not yet. Um, I think it would be that. Otherwise, I don't know. I mean, I... I I started my company with like, you know, $2,500 in, in my bank account thinking that was a ton. Like only I was dumb and brave, um, and young and privileged. And so I was able to do what I was doing and continue doing it. Um, and just figure it out. Um, I think that being careful of who you glamorize and who you pay attention to, particularly in the startup world, nothing is ever as it seems. You know, people are not as great as their shiny personas might be, and you don't need to be around those people you think are quote unquote cool because they're probably not. <laughs> I guess that's what I would say. Um, and then, and then, bragging wise or professionally, um, you know, they're, I'm mostly just thinking of like technical financial things I should have put in place. But, but again, I don't think I'll ever get that young dumbness back that allowed me to, to start that business and, and be, um, really throw caution to the wind, um, and have no concept of anything, uh, was, is actually a great tool sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Meredith, it's been a pleasure. The book is called Brag Better. I urge folks to check it out. Really grateful for the time you spent with us today. Thank you. And yes, I'm epically findable online. MeredithFeynman.com has more about the book, has more about signing up for boot camps, has more about booking me to speak. Um, and thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to continuing this conversation. That sounds great. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Hey friend, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope you found great value in Meredith's perspective on self-promotion. So many great tips and so many things that we often overlook when crafting something as simple as our bio. All of these tips can add up to a big boost as we think about building and sustaining influence. Frankly, it would be nice if folks automatically knew what we were working on but that's very unlikely. If you wanna keep moving up and getting more and more opportunities, finding ways to share those wins and not in an obnoxious way is an important part of your strategy. Be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode, episode 163. We have expanded and reorganized those notes a bit to make them more useful to you, and I'd love to know what you think. Most of all, I hope you found today's conversation a good and valuable investment in you, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can reach me via the links in the show notes. With that, take care, and I'll talk to you again next week.